we typically, in, in our day, we use very weak greetings. It's like, hello, and then, you know, it's the rest of the stuff. But uh, in, in, in biblical times, and as well as most of history, um, when we didn't have, uh, you know, little acronyms for every statement we wanted to say, people used to actually laugh out loud and not LOL. Um, and now we say LOL when people don't actually laugh out loud, right? So uh, there was a, a time, which is pretty much all of time, except for recent times, in which the, the greetings, the openings of things would have great intent. And, and Paul, as he opens this letter, he has very little words of praise for the church, uh, the Galatian church. He has very little praise for them. He does wish them grace and peace, but ultimately he is uh, worried. And as it says in verse 6, he is astonished that this church that has received his gospel has now begun to turn away, or as he puts it, they are quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ. They are turning toward a different gospel, not an actual gospel, because it's not good news to have something lesser than the good news. It's bad news. Matter of fact, even the, the, the worst news you can ever receive is something extremely close to the good news, but not quite. Do you know what I'm saying? Has anybody ever been told like, you have just won, like, $100,000, and then you, like, read the fine print, and you realize that you have to go and, you know, sit through a 14-day timeshare presentation, and then ultimately at the end, you get a, you know, maybe a set of steak knives, and, you know, the $100,000 is gone to somebody else, or, or, or whatever, you know, there those kinds of things um, that happen. It, it's, it's not good enough to have almost really, really good news. It's either the good news or it's not. And so Paul says there really aren't other gospels or another gospel that you have believed, but it is rather that you have taken the true gospel and have had it distorted. There were these teachers, the Judaizers, who were going around from church to church and going, okay, these are the things you've heard. This is what the apostles have been telling you. They started these churches, and we want to tell you it's not, it's not quite right. This isn't in, in Jerusalem, you know, that they might go, this isn't what they're, they're saying. You've got to remember the age, the time that they're in. You know, in our time, if you want to know something that's happening around the world, you can just click the mouse a couple of times, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I could yesterday see exactly where the, the, the rain slash sleet slash snow was on the map i could see it on the map and i could tell you where the precise line or you know right about the line between the rain which switches to the mixed you know the freezing mix that changes over to the snow i mean you can see it on the map and then it's moving every so often right you see it moving across the map um you like how i did that i moved it both ways because i realized that you guys actually see things backwards so um i fixed it for you but, uh, you know, there, there are these things that we can do that we, we get knowledge, we get information, we get news from other places so rapidly. But imagine during this time, it, it, was, it was basically risking your life to go and be what Paul was, to do what Paul did. It was risking your life because you're traveling around and you're starting churches in these different cities. So you have your companions 
and, and you're walking along and you've got everything from the predators that are out in the wild to you know, thieves along the way to you, know, you get to places and you just don't know how people are going to react or respond. You've got all sorts of things going on. And, and as these guys traveled around, it was very risky. As a matter of fact, if you remember in the letter to the Philippian church, Paul talks about Epaphroditus and how he almost died in order to bring the gift of the Philippian church to Paul. That's, that's the cost of being someone who takes the good news. Well, the cost today is, oh no, the gas prices are three thirty-five, right? I mean, you know, the cost today is I have to pump up the air and the tires on my bicycle or, you know, I have to go and, and, and slave away to get that $3.80 to get that drink at Starbucks so I can go and hang out and talk to people about Jesus or whatever those things happen to be. The, the people who do the, the apostolic kind of work today who are doing the riskiest kinds of things, are the ones who are going all over the world to the most difficult of places. Um, a friend like, um, of mine like Nigel who, is, who says, you know what, I'm going to go and I'm going to plant myself in a low-income housing slum area, uh, area that has many different languages spoken, dozens of languages spoken in a you know, half-mile by half-mile high-rise complex where they go in and they bring the gospel. The cost is in different ways today. That Paul, and in this, this time, of the, he's writing this letter to the Galatian church, the news is spreading slowly. It takes a long time. You're, you're walking, you're writing something, but it's not fast. And so it's taking you know, days to go just to get to a place. And then he's spending a long time there, a year, two years, starting a church and then moving on and doing it again somewhere else. The difficult thing is, is you can't just phone them and say, how are things going this week? And that's what happens now in these church planting networks. They have mentors or coaches. And so you'll go to plant a church. You'll have a, house or a home church that is, that is moving you know, to, and helping you and supplying you some, some need financially as well as praying for you. And the, the elders of that church are helping to oversee what you're doing. And then the, the pastor or a certain pastor there is meeting with you regularly. And then often they give you another mentor that is farther away. And they'll be on the phone or on Skype or on you know, some internet connection on Google+. And you'll, you'll be spending time every week or every two weeks talking to these people and they'll be asking you questions and trying to help you deal with the things that are going on at the time or what happens when that particular person wants to join the church but they're bringing bad news to you they're trying to influence people in a bad way what happens when that happens to the Galatian churches it's weeks before Paul might hear and maybe longer the apostles can only go so far and be they can only be in one place at a time and so they have to do their best to build up other leaders to go into, you know, have elders in each of these churches so that they can know what the truth is and to stand uh, up to when false truths come in. But the apostles had a certain kind of authority. And when the Galatian church and other churches in the area are getting these teachers coming in, it takes a while. If the leadership there is open to them coming in and saying these things, it takes a while for somebody with a bit of more authority or somebody that has a little more foundation, like an apostle did or would, that, to hear these things and then to figure out what to do about it. So then he's got to pen a letter. And then he's got to give the letter to someone. And then that someone has to go on a journey. 
in which they're going to sleep in strange houses and strange places and, and, and take on the dangers of traveling just to deliver the letter that tells them they're in danger from false teachers. It's a different time. So you can't just read this letter and go, oh, you know, there's false teachers out there. Because I can sit here and rattle off all the false teachers that I can think of off the top of my head that are on TV or radio or some in the area or things like that. Uh, I, can, I can do those things. I can call all of you. I can email most of you. I can text several of you. I should do that. I should bring my phone up here with me and just be texting you during the sermon. How cool would that be? Like you guys are getting texts from the pastor during the sermon. Like I can tell that you are sleeping, wake up or whatever. <laughs> So when, when Paul writes this letter, I mean, there is time passing. And w- by the time the letter even gets there, they are so far along if they are starting to go astray in hearing these words of a false gospel coming in and then responding to it. So Paul's job is to try to oversee not just this church or this set of churches in Galatia, but all the churches that he has planted as well as the other ones that he has not. And he has to be very diligent in order to try to do his best to make sure that they remember and stay with the gospel. So he's warning them in this opening through verse 9 and saying, if anyone preaches to you another gospel than the one I gave you, let him be accursed. There's very, very bad news for a person who does something like that. And then we turn to verse 10. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem by those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I've been saying Cecilia all week. I've I've really worked hard to say Cilicia. And I was unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy And they glorified God because of me. This is God's word. So Paul, after he gives these warnings in the first nine verses, he talks about the danger that they are in, how they are leaving the God of the gospel and the gospel itself. He now begins to give a defense for himself. Not because he's defensive, 
and you know what that's like. That's different, right? Usually defensive is somebody who is defending themselves when they are guilty. That's somebody who's defensive. But somebody who is defending himself like Paul is doing is simply trying to say, here's why my words should carry more weight than the words of the people you are listening to, than the words of these false teachers who are coming in. For he says, now am I seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I, am I trying to please man? He, he just basically opens up by saying, look, just you, you know me. Who am I trying to please? Uh, you, you know, often in um, my relationship with my wife, one of the things that I'll say when we get into certain situations, um, she tends to uh, demonize me because I'm fairly demonic. Uh, you know, I, I tend to uh, respond very harshly uh, sometimes. Um, or I should say harshly, not very harshly. Right, Molly? Okay, so she didn't say anything. Um, that's bad. <coughs> But, you know, when we get in certain situations, my defensiveness or my defense of myself is often, I'm, who am I? Am I trying to hurt you or am I trying to help? Am I trying to do good or am I trying to do bad? And so one of the things I have to say, because sometimes I've said the wrong thing, is when I'm trying to say the right thing, just trust who I have been for 20 years. Trust that you know that I'm that same person who's always been there been sleeping in my van during brain surgeries. Trust that guy that has been there for you. I'm not trying to do something bad to you. And that's what Paul's doing here. Paul is saying, I, you, you know me, I'm not trying to please men, I'm trying to please God. If I were still trying to please man, he says, I would not be a servant of Christ. Why, why if I was going to serve Christ... Would I then serve man? Or why, if I'm serving man, in other words, if you think that I'm serving man, or if you think my gospel is a man's gospel and not God's gospel, because you've got to remember, this is, this is what has to happen. You just understand, somebody walks in the door of this church. I, I'm gone, I'm sick, you know, I, I've decided to take a, a leave of absence to go and reach people in, you know, Tahiti or something like that. So, um, you, somebody else comes in and they begin to preach and they say this, they, they come in and they say, okay, now Steve has been preaching here for uh, going on nine years now and the stuff he's been teaching you has been, has been mostly okay, but he's missing some pieces or he's, he's got some things that he's telling you that's not quite right. So let me tell you what's right. Then they begin to work on you week after week after week and they begin to try to move you towards sympathy for their particular vision of what it is. And what they'll say is, is they'll say something like this. When, when Steve was preaching to you, he was, he, he was beginning to mingle in basically, or, or maybe he, was, he founded his teachings on something in himself. He had a certain background, he had a certain history, he had a certain experience, and he was teaching you those things based on his experience, but we're here to tell you the real gospel is something else. Okay, just he, he, and so you see, you can just sort of subtly start to move people in that direction. Now, there's obviously a, a true way you could do that. You could say there's people out there teaching certain things, and they're teaching it because of some background or some denomination or some history or some whatever, and it's a, it's a false gospel. But how would we show that? We wouldn't just try to use these kinds of 
out there arguments. Oh, he's, he's just preaching his own gospel. We'd go back to those foundations. We would say, okay, show me here. You're telling me that's what Steve said. Hopefully what you could do is say, what, I can show you what Steve said. We've got it on, you know, I almost said tape. Oh. It, I, it, you don't have to be alive for very long to realize that your language is outdated very rapidly, right? right? When I, remember, I remember like in high school, like you had those mixtapes of, you know, you had the mixtapes of like the songs that rocked, and then you had like the mixtapes of the songs that were like, you know, slow and awesome, so that when you had like a chick in the car, and you're like, yeah, I'm popping on, you know, love songs, 89. Sorry. Um, <laughs> that's not in the Bible. That's Steve's gospel, okay? So, Paul, Paul is saying, he, he's, the reason he's saying this about pleasing man or pleasing God is because the message that has come in is trying to undermine him. So he's trying to remind them, you know who I am. You know I'm not trying to please man. You know I'm here to please God. I'm, I'm a servant of Christ. Somebody who's trying to please man would not be a servant of Christ. Verse 11, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. Okay, you could say at that point, says you, right? Says you. You've got to remember, we're, we're reading a, a letter that's in our Bible. So as they receive it, they're not going, oh, that's in the Bible, it, it's becoming the Bible. It, it, as they receive it, it is the word coming to them. But they didn't necessarily, although they, they recognize Paul as apostolic and, you know, hopefully that they're going to receive this, right? But as they receive these things, they're not thinking, I wish we could get a letter from Paul because we want to add something else to our Bible. I just, they just probably wouldn't have that kind of mentality. So as he's writing to them, he's attempting to persuade them, but he's persuading them back remembering who he is, what he's done, and why he's done it. And the why of why he's done it is the gospel I preached was not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man. To, to be man's gospel, uh, I, I can give you an example of this. Um, when, when we first heard the gospel, Molly and I first heard the gospel, we were already married um, we, we kind of thought we were Christians, but, you know, that meant that you go on Easter and play golf on most Sundays or whatever. Um, and, and so when we first heard the gospel, um, one of the first things that we did after we responded in faith and we just had this overwhelming, like, wow, everything's different. We saw everything different. This is why, by the way, if you say you know Jesus but there hasn't been that time where at least the lenses, things come into a different kind of focus for you. Like suddenly you look at the world, you look at people, you start having a different kind of compassion, a different kind of reaction. If that's not happening to you or hasn't happened to you when the gospel began to take root in you, then you have no reason to believe that you're saved. If you've just sort of gone, eh, you know, I've kind of always known this, and then I kind of was like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm cool with Christ. I, I like, it. like, we're okay together. If that's what Christianity is to you, pray. Very sincerely, I'm saying this to you. Pray and ask God. Not that he would give you some higher experience. But pray that you truly have 
salvation. It's, it's one of the reasons that none of my children are baptized to this point. It's not because they haven't expressed faith. And we've talked about this with them regularly. It's not that they haven't expressed faith. But it is that when they express it, there's, there's sometimes just not enough. You don't see enough, and you want to, you just want to go, okay, I want to see more. I, want, I need some more time to pass. We don't have a clear understanding in the Bible of, of the baptism of children. We just don't see the example of what that looks like. The, the best example in Scripture is a non-example. There's really nothing specific given. We don't know who was baptized in a certain household. And so we, we have to now sort of prepare ourselves for when my kids are in my house and I'm the one telling them this is always right, I, I need them to be challenged by some things that are competing with that so that they know what it is they believe and so that they ultimately have to say, yes, I believe, I, I trust in Christ, or I don't. And so we need to uh, not, not sort of allow them to see other gospels or whatever, but we need to make sure that we see the fruit that comes from that. And some of that fruit is that real change, that, that loathing for sin, that longing and, and, and thankfulness and just this gratitude for what Christ has done that kind of overwhelms you, that humbling that comes that you can't bring to yourself in which you really just are broken and you, you start to go, I have, I have nothing to say yet except he, he's done this for me and I'm undeserving. The person who goes, I'm saved. Somebody hurry up and give me a microphone. I need to speak. You've heard that story by me, right? When we, when we became Christians, we were at church and we responded to the gospel. And they were like, here's a microphone. Say something right now about what Christ has done. And we were like, vote, you know, Republican. Um, <laughs> we didn't know what to say. Don't ask us to speak. We were still like... You know, we needed to go through the debriefing and, you know, get, get things reoriented around the gospel and not around ourselves. And so all we knew was that, you know, God had done something in our hearts. And, you know, the first questions we asked of some friends is, are we born again? Because we kept hearing that language. We had no idea what it meant, but all of a sudden we were like, we just feel like we've entered a new world. Born again, right? It, it had to be it, right? And so that was the question that we asked. Um, and, and a helpful question it is for those who say that they have faith. Do you feel like you have come out of a womb through much pressure and suddenly you've opened your eyes and it's a new world and everything that was dark has now become light and you see? If, if the things that come from birth aren't seen in the new birth, in the second birth, in being born again, then maybe you haven't been born again. So anyway, uh, back to uh, what we're talking about. So Paul is trying to explain, I'm a servant of Christ. You know who I am. You know the gospel that I've preached. It is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from man. Okay, that's, that's a, a statement, but it's not an argument yet. But then he says this, for I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ they would immediately be reminded of what they surely had heard from Paul before of his conversion and what certainly was circulating among many because Paul was a bad dude and he was miraculously saved as well as not just saved but saved for a purpose after Christ had been resurrected. 
he sees a vision of Christ. Not, it's not even really a vision. It is the presence of Christ. It is truly the presence of Christ. So I received this revelation of Jesus Christ, for you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. You remember the story? Remember the story from Acts uh, 7, right, of Stephen and the, the sermon? And so Stephen's preaching, the first martyr, and, and, and Saul is there, who we call Paul, and he's there, and he's a Jew, he's a, a Jewish leader, and he gives approval for everybody to kill this guy. And so, you know, all the guys who have the brass knuckles, right, and, and the big rocks, they all kind of take off their coat, do one of these things, crack their knuckles, they grab their, you know, whatever, and then they pummel Stephen to death as they've thrown their coats at the feet of Saul. Here, here I, I'm giving you permission. Lay your coats here, I'll watch over your coats while you watch over that guy dying for what he's preaching. That's who Paul was. He wasn't just like, I was a lost guy working a job. He was killing Christians. Which, by the way, if you see people in the world who kill Christians only as people who need to be killed, you need to read your Bible. And I'm not saying that there isn't a kind of justice that comes. That's not what I'm saying at all. That, that governments are there to give and all of that. But that we would not wish salvation on our enemies is not, it's not a very um, biblical notion. When we see it right, the greatest mind that ever was writing scripture was the guy killing the Christians that he was now called by Jesus to go and create more of. By the way, uh, I got to do it. Um, the, the persecution of the church in history, all throughout history and today, the persecution of the church is real. Now, in America, we don't experience the kind of persecution typically that we see in other places around the world. In fact, in America, often people who would say that they are Christians um, are doing just crazy things. I mean, who, who are the people in the KKK, right? I mean, what would they call themselves? Yeah, so, I mean, this is bad news, right? Am I right? It's bad. Um, my friend, who is a pastor uh, in Alabama, he, uh, he was at a church, and the church was like, yeah, you can't marry that black guy and white girl here. Like, you can't, that, you can't do that. I remember being on the phone with him, and he's like, I'm not sure what to do. And I was like, you yell at them with the gospel until they make you leave. You know, I mean, that was, that was my response, which, uh, you know, at least at its very heart was the right idea, um, although there might be a more artful way to do it. There, there is a point where you just, you have to give them the gospel and work for different, the, the kind of change that comes from the gospel. Paul... When, when he's persecuted, he's whipped, beaten, right? He goes through all kinds of suffering. The kinds of suffering that comes, you know, there's persecution, but then there's other kinds of suffering. We talk about Epaphroditus. For the gospel's sake, he's taking the letter. So when he suffers, when he gets sick, when he gets hurt along the way, 
That is a kind of suffering for the gospel, even though it's not persecution. But in our day, in our day, we are struggling when persecution starts to, st- to stay strong, to be steadfast. And I'm going to give you a specific example of that, just very briefly. Soapbox is here. I'm back off of it again. Okay. So Paul says, For you have heard my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism. Now listen to this. He's advancing. He's a stud. You've got to get this. Paul is a Jewish stud. Everybody's going, man, he is just boop, 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 boop right up the ladder he, he is he's moving quicker than everybody else they're like man how, how does paul come into you know this thing or this class or this synagogue or this whatever and he is schooling everybody he's he's got it he's got the thing and everybody else is probably jealous of it he's advancing Beyond many of his own age among his people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my father. <coughs> Notice he doesn't say, because of the word, because of the Torah, because of the Old Testament scriptures. It doesn't mean that he doesn't have some implications there too. But certainly speaking of, I was born into that. This is why you aren't born a Christian. Don't, if you say, I've been a Christian my whole life, then I will then stop whatever we're talking about and talk to you about Jesus because nobody has been a Christian their whole life. I mean, I get it if you say I became a Christian at eight and that's, you know, pretty much my whole life, but that's not what people often mean. So Paul is saying, I was, I was uh, full of zeal. I was advancing beyond all of my peers. I was moving up the ladder. I was, in in other places he said, I was a Pharisee of the Pharisees. I was a Jew of the Jews. You know, I, I, all the stuff that I had, could have going for me, was going for me. I'm killing Christians, which is making me really rise up the ranks fast because that was the right thing to do, right? Because the Christians are here to try to destroy our faith. But, oh, just read the letters of Paul and, and circle the word but. <laughs> I'm serious. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. And, and Paul, Paul's butts are big. Okay? <laughs> that's on tape. <laughs> I'm telling you. I'm not joking. Circle them. Therefore, for. I've always said, you know, for is the most important word in the Bible. F-O-R. But when he who had set me apart before I was born, goodness sakes, I mean, just, are you, are you, isn't that just great? Look at, I had everything going for me. Here's what I was doing. I'm trying to destroy these Christians. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. 
I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Here's, here's what he's saying. Jesus came. He, he came to me. He, he arrived where I was, knocked me down. It, the, if you know the story, not, he's blind. He can't see until God sends someone else in order to remove the scales from his eyes so that he can see again, right? So he is knocked blind. Why, Saul, are you persecuting me, Jesus says. Because why? He's persecuting who? Christians. If you're persecuting a Christian, or Christians persecute, if you are a Christian are persecuted, who's being persecuted? Jesus. If they loved me, Jesus says, or if they hated me, you'll also be hated. If they persecuted me, you're going to be persecuted. So when persecution comes, we don't run. We don't say, I've got other things I'd rather say. You say, by the persecution itself, Christ is proclaimed. The pulpit is your suffering. And then speaking after it, if you get a chance to continue to speak, you're not killed, is then given a new kind of authority. You want to find the people in the world who have the most authority. It's not Obama. I'm not saying that as an Obama basher or anything like that. It's not, I'm just saying it's not a place of position. You find the people who speak with the most authority. You know what it was like if somebody could get Mother Teresa, when she was alive, to say something? I mean, people were clamoring. Why? Because of how much she suffered. They listened. Uh, last night, we just happened across um, The Biggest Loser. Anybody watch The Biggest Loser? Okay? You are The Biggest Loser. <laughs> no. Um, the, biggest, <laughs> the Biggest Loser. I'm sorry. It's an it's a interesting show, right? And it's, it's, it's a bunch of people who are, who are very overweight and, and out of shape and all this, and they bring him on the show, and they make him work out so hard that they are all puking. And then they, they, they're on teams, and whoever loses the least amount of weight on their team, then that, you know, a certain person on the team leaves and on all of that. So if you recorded it last night, this is where you want to pause my, uh, you know, your ears right now. Um, so so they, and I, we only saw part of it. But they, after they, they're announcing the people that are coming on the show, there's an audience full of people, and then they were, they were like shocked because they're in the audience and they had a chance, but they didn't know if they were going to be on the show. And so they call them up on the stage, and after they call them up, they show like a video. They've gone to their home sometime after the, you know, that recording, and then they've done a personal piece. And there's a guy, and there's a guy who's talking, and he said, one day we were driving along, and they're on some highway, and they were rear-ended by a truck. I don't know if the traffic had slowed down or stopped or something like that. And they were rear-ended by some truck or a semi or a, something with a big heavy trailer on it at 60 miles an hour. And the guy was so overweight that when it happened, his chair literally broke and smashed in the face of his son. And they showed pictures of his son with a scar from right here all the way around his face where they had, to do, they had to do brain surgery, they had to do surgery on his orbital bone or whatever, whatever it was. I, I can't remember all the details. And this guy on the show is weeping and just over, I, I almost killed my son because I was overweight in this chair. And you go, well, it's not that simple. You know, you don't have to blame yourself. It's not like you can blame yourself for the guy who hit you or whatever else. I mean, all that stuff aside, this guy has an incredible amount of guilt. 
And by the end of the first episode, he was already off the show, the first person to leave. And I just remember feeling some, something's wrong. Like, I just felt bad. Like, this guy, he was really struggling. He was on the treadmill, and he falls off of it. He's on, like, the stair stepper thing and is, like, falling down off of it. He's weeping. You know, the girl's, like, yelling at him on the show, the workout girl. And, and there's just, there's something about the fact that he suffered. It, you know, the other, some other guy got kids, and he's like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to die. If I'm this, you know, out of shape, this, this overweight, I'm going to die. I want, I want to raise my kids, my little baby. That's a, that's a great thing. But the guy that's weeping over his son's brokenness, literal brokenness, right? <coughs> there's, a, there's a kind of compassion that it just overwhelmed, you know, that, that moment in the show. Suffering provides you an audience. The, the missionary who goes, I can't even remember the story very well, but the missionary who goes to a people and, and he's, he's walked and he's gone to all these places to, to, to tell them about Jesus. And he goes to this village and they will not receive him in. <clears throat> and so they had decided, I think the story is, they decided at nighttime to come out and kill him. He's out sleeping by a tree somewhere, you know, outside the village. So they come out at night to kill him and he's sleeping and they notice how his feet are so blistered and beaten you know, he doesn't have any shoes on, and he, he obviously had gone through great pain to walk to tell them this news, and they invite him into the village. And I'm, I, I, I can't remember the whole story I heard a long time ago, but it's a, it's a story like that. You know, you know, the Bible says, how beautiful are the feet of him who brings good news, right? And beautiful feet are, are painful feet. It is those who are in the middle of suffering. It is those who are in the middle of pain for, for what they believe, for what they're doing, that are suffering in the midst of it, that often have the loudest voice. Not because they speak loud, but because their words are given heed because of their suffering. And so Paul is bringing suffering on others, but now he says there was God who set him apart, called me by his grace, pleased to reveal his son that I might preach among the Gentiles. Remember, when Paul is converted, he, doesn't just, he isn't just told, like, you know, it's Jesus that you're persecuting. Then it's also said, you are my chosen vessel. You remember that? You're my chosen vessel to go to the Gentiles. And then what's said? Does anybody remember? Let's see if I can just find it here. Yes. Chapter 9 of Acts, verse 16. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. That's what Ananias is told. You're, you're going to go to him, the guy who's been killing Christians. Ananias is like, wait, you're going to send me to the guy who's killing Christians? Right? Yeah. God goes, Ananias, I have a great task for you. There's a guy killing Christians. I want you to go talk to him talk it out, you know, and see if he changes his mind. Ananias is like, woo, you got some, you had a breastplate of uh, righteousness made out of titanium, Lord, or something. <laughs> the Lord said, 
Go, he is my chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much, how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and so on and so forth. Um, that's the story of Paul. That's what God does in Paul. And so he just says that sh- briefly here, the God who elected me, set me apart before I was born, who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach among the Gentiles. He doesn't, he doesn't just save you. Listen, I, I, I know Paul's an apostle and all of that, and, and this can make people go, oh, well, I'm not really like Paul. Yes, you are. You're not an apostle. But that doesn't make you any less of a missionary wherever you are. And so when he is called to this, well, we don't have this exact experience uh, that Paul has that does not change the fact that we are to go and to spread the gospel in, in its many various ways we can do that. But his point is, by just bringing up his little testimony there, is to then say, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Got to remember, that's the point here. Because he comes back to it. I didn't immediately go consult with anyone. So, so Jesus comes to me. He arrives. He shows me what I'm supposed to do. Ananias comes and scales from his eyes. He reveals what God's you know, will is after Jesus said, you're persecuting me. Three days have passed by. Scales leave his eyes. Now he knows what he needs to do. So then Paul, after three days, goes out and is the greatest missionary ever, right? No. I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem. Yeah, amen. Um, Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, Peter, and remained with him for 15 days. So he goes to Jerusalem for a couple weeks after three years. How, how long were the disciples with Jesus before his death? Three years. Paul is away. Imagine what the Jewish leaders and people, all these guys who know Saul at the time, what they're thinking. Like, where'd he go? And then all of a sudden they start hearing the stories. Like, wait a second. We were moving him up the ranks because of what he was doing to kill Christians, and now he's gone away and he's essentially being prepared by God to be a missionary to the Gentiles, right? That doesn't sound like something you want your great disciple to do. So he goes to Jerusalem. He's there for a couple weeks. He sees Peter, and then he saw no other apostles of James. Is James one of the 12 apostles? The answer is no. He's the brother of Jesus. And by being brought up this way, what does that tell us about him? He's still considered an apostle. You got to remember, we have the we have the twelve, and then Judas is taken away, and then they cast lots in the beginning, you know, of Acts, and then you have Matthias added in. But then now, who else is an apostle? Paul is an apostle, and now we get James here, and then we also have uh, the idea elsewhere that like Barnabas, or you know, so you it's not like the, there's just specifically just the twelve. You also tend to get these other uh, guys sort of folded into that James. Um, being the, the brother of Jesus, who is the son of Joseph and Mary. By the way, Catholics get this wrong. He's the son of Joseph and Mary. Okay, You can try to explain it away all you want by your faith's tradition. 
When the Bible says it, I believe it. You guys good with that? Let's be good with that. Okay, thank you. You want to talk about it more? We can. I've talked to many Catholics about this over the last few years. You guys know some of the stuff I've done as I've studied Catholicism a bit. Um, <clears throat> I've spoken to many people. Uh, boy, this is one of those issues I love to talk about. Mary remained a virgin. She did not. There's nothing in Scripture that tells us that. Matter of fact, the things in Scripture tell us otherwise, and they have to try to explain it away. <clears throat> so he says, but I saw, only, I saw Cephas, I saw Peter, I saw James, the Lord's brother, and then in parentheses in the Bible it says, in what I'm writing to you before God, I do not lie. Meaning, don't think I'm messing with you. I'm telling you the truth. I, I, it was honestly, like, he, he knows it would be surprising. For three years, he just, where were you for three years? I mean, he said where he was, but what were you doing? Why were you, okay, so it's three years. And then he went, after having received the gospel from Jesus himself, and then he goes to Jerusalem, he's there for a couple weeks, and the gospel's being confirmed. Do you, you understand what's going on? It's not that he goes there to go, okay, I've been around for three years now, so you guys tell me the gospel. They, he comes and says, this is what Jesus told me, and, and Cephas and James go, exactly. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They were only hearing, it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God because of me. So, so here's what's happening. It, the, the gospel is being confirmed because he's going to the real apostles, but he's showing them, this isn't the gospel that has come from man. This came directly from Jesus. And I was away from the, the apostles for years and th before I met with them. And then once I met with them, they accepted me as one of their own. They, they were the ones, all the disciples uh, and the apostles, they're saying things like this. The one who was persecuting, the one who was destroying, he is the one who is now preaching. He is preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, which means they knew he was preaching the gospel. It's not another gospel. It's not his gospel. It's not man's gospel. It's not just like Paul saying it. It's not that he went to the apostles and they told him what to say. It's not that he went to certain people outside the church or certain types of teachers. As the Judaizers are saying this about Paul, they're saying it's his gospel. He, he never gave you the full, this is the true gospel. This is the, you know, whatever. As, as they are trying to lead the Galatian church away from Paul's gospel, Paul's saying, it's not my gospel, it's his gospel. I got it from him directly. And so it's not Paul's gospel, it's not man's gospel. He said three years before he even saw there. He didn't go to you know, Jerusalem Christian headquarters at the time, right? Um, before the great persecution broke out and all of that, um, that, that made people leave Jerusalem and spread out and spread the gospel elsewhere. So it's not Paul's gospel, it's not man's gospel, and, and it's eventually confirmed by Cephas and James and, and those in Jerusalem as well as those in Judea that it's confirmed that it is the same gospel. It's confirmed that it is the same gospel. So Paul's point here is, the gospel wasn't my idea. It didn't come from me. I, I couldn't have been more against what I'm teaching you. Do you understand? He's not just saying, oh, I just, just, just trust me. You know, I went to seminary. He's saying, I was the, one of the main people in the world trying to destroy the very faith. The only way I could be teaching you the gospel at all is that Jesus would have to come and strike me blind on my path. He would have to stop me in my tracks. 
That's the only way I could ever preach what I'm preaching now is he'd have to do that. How, how could you even possibly think this has come from anybody but him? Why would I possibly leave being up in the ranks and destroying the church? Why would I possibly leave that because I've just decided to go a different way and do my own thing? I want to go do my own thing so I can be persecuted and stoned and shipwrecked? Is that what I'm doing? The Galatian church should be reading this going, well, this makes sense. Why in the world would we believe this about Paul? Why would we believe his critics? He's not going to just give you something of his own. He had everything going for him. And Jesus was the only way to stop it. And he did. And he did it so that he would be God's vessel to the Gentiles. So just a, a couple of quick things as we, as we close. You don't have, or I hope, okay, and I'm, I'm saying this to you in the hope that uh, as I'm speaking to you, you are a, a, a real Christian. You've been truly saved by the Holy Spirit's you know, overwhelming power and that you have the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, and have the hope of a future um, in his presence forevermore. And, and so as, as I'm speaking to you, and, and if you're not one of those people, if you don't know if you're one of those people, then I want you to overhear this. For those of us who know him, his church, you don't have a gospel of self or of men unless you change it. You don't have a gospel of self or of men unless you change it. I've had many Christians talk to me over the years, and they'll go, hey, I've got this great idea. And their great idea is, what if I try to get really clever in the way that I say the gospel? Or the way that I, you know, there's this little nuance I give to the gospel. It's like, you don't nuance the gospel. You may have a fresh way of saying the old thing, but there's no new way, a new thing that you can add to the old thing or change about the old thing. What we have, if, if what you tell people about Jesus couldn't have been said 2,000 years ago, it, at least you don't put in their vernacular, if it couldn't have been said 2,000 years ago, then you've got to stop saying it. If you think that you've learned something, I, I once was in a history class. By the way, just don't do this, okay? Um, I was once in a history class, and a guy goes, uh, you know, Professor uh, Nettles, um, isn't it true, by the way, usually when you're in a class and your first statement is, isn't it true? What you're saying is, I believe there's something that's true and I'm trying to add something into this conversation. Um, <laughs> I want to tell stories. Um, there was one class where a guy said, isn't it true? And the minute he said it, a guy in the back of the room goes like this. I'm like, you can't do that nowadays. You know, now you're like, uh, you know, Secret Service is talking to you or something. I mean, it's bad, but, um, you know, way back in the day, that was, uh, I'm still friends with that guy. <laughs> Because that was awesome. Anyway, um, so we're in this church history class, and, and he's talking about how Paul and, and all these doctrines and truths, and he's like, yeah, but don't we know more than Paul? Like, Paul only had, I mean, he's so close to Christ, right after Christ, there, there's things that we just know now with more history and, and all the textual documents that we have and all of the stuff from, you know, different whatever. And, he's, and so um, my professor took about 10 minutes and just destroyed this guy in class calmly and by asking questions. By the way, that's, that's the, you want to destroy somebody? It's okay. You, to destroy means simply to demolish their argument, not to destroy the person. You want to demolish their argument so that the person actually comes to the realization that was stupid. Okay? That's what you want. And so he just said, 
So you think um, Paul, with the Holy Spirit, didn't realize that Jesus was, you know, the Son of God in the same way that we realize that somehow that because we can write books about it and can study other people that wrote books that we, and so he just for 10 minutes went after the guy. I mean, we had people behind us who were like high-fiving each other, like real low so nobody could tell. Like, whoa, he is bringing the heat. Um, but it was, it, was, it was awesome. You just don't, you don't do that. You don't change it. So if you're a Christian, you don't have the gospel of yourself. If you do, then you're either not a Christian or you're being a Galatian. You're moving away. You don't have a gospel that's just given by men. You don't just have a gospel given by Steve. Steve does not stand up here with my own gospel, and if I do, you should get rid of me. Any church that has a preacher not preaching the gospel, they should immediately confront that preacher, and then if that preacher does not respond you know, and, and say, I'm, I'm preaching a different gospel, they should be fired or burned at the stake, maybe in another culture. Um, I'm not advocating burning at the stake. Get this on record. On record. Um, it is the gospel of God, and that's why when, when you're here, this is what I'm doing, right? This is what I'm doing. Our last sermon series, remember I said don't open your Bibles? How much of that was just Bible, right? The story of God? How much of it was just right through the Bible, right through the stories, right, I mean, just, you know, often, often verbatim giving those things, but tying it all together. I, I just, I'm not going to give you something. I'm not going to go, you know what, I'm going to take a hiatus from the Bible and just going to give you a whole bunch of good advice on finances. If I'm going to do that, we're going to go on the side and kind of do a side thing some other day of the week or on Sunday night. I'm not going to stand up on Sunday morning and go, I'm here to give you the best advice possible. Because the people out there are giving you really good advice, but the Bible helps me to give you a slightly better advice. Shame on us for when we preach these therapeutic sermons. So you have that gospel. You've got to take this seriously. Now, take this seriously. We're, we're just about done, okay? Everybody focus in here. If I can see you dozing off, I'm just going to keep preaching until you wake up again, okay? All right. You have a gospel, a good news, a truth, a, a story that can change lives forever. And it's from God. And that means you're the most dangerous person in our culture. You're so dangerous that by just stating a truth that's been true forever and forever since eternity past, if you state it, you're going to be called a bigot. Or, or a misogynist, or an, any number of terms, people are going to slander you because the world has decided, I saw somebody say something like this, the world has decided to redefine sin and to, to make it something else. And what Jesus has decided is to redeem you from sin rather than to redefine it. Jesus doesn't avoid sin. The world, avoid, the world knows, you know, it's, it's, oh, wow, we're being told we're sinners. We have to redefine it as good. Look at the, what, what's the, the, uh, the big volumes, the medical documents, you know, or the books, you know, talk about D, DRM or DSM. Um, and just, just go back and find the changes. What's been taken out? Find it. Do a search on Google. DSM, what has been removed? And just find out what's been removed. The world around us is redefining sin. Now, we can act like this is the worst thing that's ever happened. We just simply live in a culture in which we, were, we had so much biblical foundation, even among those who didn't believe the Bible, 
that when now this seems like it's so radically bad, when you look in biblical cultures, the, the cities that Paul was going to, some of them were horrid, just, just rampant sin in, in, in the culture um, in, in a way that we would just gasp at today in our culture. So it's not like we're the worst culture in the world, but where we have been to where we are going is dramatic and now very fast. And so we need to recognize that. So we have a gospel. It is from God. Recognize the power of you speaking the gospel to someone else. Recognize the power you have at every moment when somebody is near you. Why say anything else? And I'm not saying you don't say anything else. I'm just simply saying, how can that not be? I've got to get there. I've got to get there. And then I'll just say this last thing. When we hear the story of Paul, even just the very brief version of it here in Galatians, you know, not the whole, like, all the stuff in Acts and things that we hinted at, I don't know how we can respond but to say, look at God's amazing grace. This is, this is not, you know, Joe Schmo, you know, just Jewish guy out there. This is not even Gentile guy out there or some non-God-fearing person. This is the worst of the worst in the religion that was there in order to lead to Christ, he was doing everything he could to stop the spread of the knowledge and the wisdom and the gospel of Christ. God's amazing grace should shape us. It should absolutely shape everything we do, all that we are, how we think how we make decisions, how we make plans, how we cancel plans. Everything should be shaped by the fact of God's amazing grace, which means that when you look at others, you have to start seeing them through the lens of Christ. Not just as, oh, they have great potential. Boy, if Rihanna would become a Christian, what gospel songs she would sing. No, because Christians would take a hold of her and make her songs just junk. It would just, ugh, it'd be awful. I'm not saying Rihanna shouldn't get saved. I'm saying I want her soul to get saved, not her songs. If her songs come, then that's great too. Do you, you know what I'm saying? I want people to know Jesus, and, and we need to want that. And so what we have to do is remind ourselves of how much we've been forgiven. And we have to be very careful, because what we will do is redefine how much we've been forgiven. My testimony used to be I really never did anything wrong. And then Jesus came and saved me anyway. And then as time has gone by, I go, when I say I didn't do anything wrong, what am I, what am I even saying about myself? I, like I just, the more time goes by and the more you read the scriptures, the more you realize I really was an awful guy. I just was a moral, awful guy. More moral, I should say, than, uh, than many. So we have a great gospel. We have amazing grace and if we do not speak of such grace, we'll end up like the Galatian church. And it, it may be that a church like ours is already there. We're, we're already okay. Are you okay? Are you okay being here and leaving and coming back next week? Is that okay? Is that enough? Are you satisfied with that? Because if you're satisfied with that, it's not enough. You need a, you need a Jesus who's going to change everything. Would you stand with me for closing prayer? I am going to both pray for our closing and pray for our food. Uh, we have food downstairs, and so go down, 
Don't wait for 15 minutes and then go, oh, well, I guess I should get some food because then Pastor Steve is there and hungry and you're in his way. Um, get out of my way. Um, no, we want, you to, we want you to enjoy. If you, if you haven't brought anything, it's not, I mean, you're welcome. Please come and uh, dine with us. Let's pray as we close um, for God's mercy upon us to remember his amazing grace. Father, um, remind us now of who you are and what you've done for us, of who we were before Christ, who we are, uh, how, what our identity is like now that we have Christ, what good news you have given us, what amazing grace you have shown us in the Apostle Paul and in our own hearts. We want to be people who stand upon the gospel in our own lives. We want to be people who preach the gospel to the world around us in whatever way you have equipped us to do so. Help us to do it faithfully. And now, God, we thank you for providing us an opportunity to fellowship around these truths, around uh, this meal. We thank you for those who have provided it for us, um, for how you've provided all of us with so much more than we have ever deserved. And now bless this meal and our time together, we pray in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. amen. God bless you.